Welcome to the weekly podcast, Stand Strong. I'm Paul White. And I'm Noah Dieselkamp. Together, we look to God's Word to find energy and encouragement to fuel our faith. When our trust in Jesus is firm, we'll be amazed what God can do and accomplish in our lives. So let's turn to the wisdom in God's Word, a true and trusted source that is going to help us stand strong. Let's dig in. Hey, Paul, it's good to be back in here with you discussing God and his character as we're doing here in this first season of Stand Strong. And we're just trying to spend time to get to know God better. And so far, I've really enjoyed our study. I have too. Whenever you're talking about a subject as deep as deity, and especially as it relates to us, I mean, we need from him. We look to him. Uh, In him, we live and move and have our very existence. So really have enjoyed this conversation. Look forward to more things that we're going to find out from God and his word about himself. Absolutely. Same here. You know, last time we talked about the holiness of God and and how that affects our lives and how that changes our decisions. And um, I think something we're going to see as we move forward into other discussions about God is this idea of holiness, of being special and set apart, really bleeds into these other things. Because, for instance, in our what we're discussing today about God's mercy, He is uniquely merciful. The idea of holiness, being set apart, being special, really bleeds into these other characteristics because even when we use these terms to describe people around us, they are never that way to the same level as God. We may know a merciful person or we may know a good person, but they are not merciful or good to the same extent that God is. So I think that it's going to be really helpful for us to have that previous discussion when we talk about these kinds of things. Absolutely. Again, there is none like him, none can compare. You know, when you're talking about his holiness, that ethical spotlessness of his character, you cited in that in that study uh, what John says, in him there is no darkness at all. I mean, God is light. Because God is holy, he cannot have fellowship with darkness. He will not fellowship sin. Just an understanding of that is it connects itself to mercy. Because sometimes when you have conversations about his attribute attributes like justice, having an understanding of his holiness, when you try to connect his justice to his mercy, you lose some people. Mm-hmm. And those are not opposite sides. They they merge themselves together. They're not opposed to each other. So that's why I was so excited when you started talking about this, let's talk about God being merciful or let's talk about His mercy. After we've already had a consideration of His holiness, I thought that was a great idea. So let's just, let's just start this discussion on mercy. Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be true for a lot of the attributes that we talk about in this podcast, but the better we understand the other ones, and this is kind of along the same lines is what you were just saying. The better we understand each attribute of God, the better we'll understand the others because they're they're interwoven. Uh, We kind of tease them apart for these discussions, but they're interwoven, they're related. So the better we understand each one, the better we understand God as a whole. Right. It's like trying to put a puzzle together and you only have some of the pieces. Right. You've got to get the whole pieces, all the puzzle together. Exactly. Well, to to begin our discussion in earnest on God's mercy today, I actually want to start by reading from Titus chapter 3, just a few verses from Titus chapter 3, and I think it'll kind of spur some discussion. 
Beginning in verse 3, Titus chapter 3, verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy." by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, when we read through that, we're seeing all sorts of buzzwords already when it comes to (laughs) God's character. Mercy is connected here in these verses to his goodness, which we're going to discuss in the future, his loving kindness, his justice, and his grace there in verse 6, both of those things. This passage, I think, starkly presents the reality of God's mercy in our lives. I think that's a productive place to start the discussion about God's mercy. It is real, and it is present in our lives. It is needed. It is necessary in our lives. And we read those first few verses, we can't help but but notice that. Absolutely, because he's connecting his mercy to our salvation. When you talk about needed and necessary, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the great equalizer. We are all sinners, stand guilty before God. We could do nothing to save ourselves. And that's why you talked about grace as it connects to mercy in that Titus 3 passage. Just love that text. Yes. So it's a great text, and it also demonstrates something to us, not just how needed the mercy is, but I see in here a little bit of an explanation of of why God saved us. Because it says there in verse 5 that he says, the loving kindness of our God and our Savior appeared. He saved us not because of works done in our own righteousness. Okay, well, why did he save us? Because God is merciful. It says, according to his mercy. That's a question that I don't know that we always work through. Why did God save us? Well, he loves us. Here, Paul, when writing to Titus, specifically says it was in accordance with his mercy. That answers the question, why? God saved us according to his mercy, Paul says there in Titus chapter 3. And that is because his nature is merciful. It's compassionate is another word that we use. He looked at us. I mean, you read those first couple of verses there from verse, you know, verse 3 and verse 4. That's a pretty pitiful state. Right. Is it not? I mean, we look at that and we go, ooh, that that's painful to read. Yeah, one of, the, one of the, the things to consider in Scripture, and it weaves itself all the way through the text, starting in Genesis and going all the way through the Revelation, God wanted a people with whom He could have fellowship. Yeah. And so when you see God's divine pity, His compassion upon us when we were yet in our sins— Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless to save ourselves, that's the demonstration of His mercy. Romans chapter 5, you know, you were talking about that text in Titus chapter 3, by His mercy He has saved us. I think about uh, really the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters in the book of Ephesians. By the time you get to chapter 2 of Ephesians and you got by grace through faith, but he mentioned in Ephesians 2 about verse 4 that not just God was merciful, He was rich 
Yes. In mercy. And so he connects grace and mercy together. Our God was rich in mercy. Yes. Yeah. Ephesians 2 paints a very similar picture as Titus 3. Children of wrath, but God is rich in mercy. And that is such a potent picture that he's rich in mercy towards those who clearly do not deserve it. And he made us alive, I think, is another phrase that he uses there in Ephesians. Right. So when we look at passages like that in Titus chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2 and and the other ones that we've referenced so far, we understand the state of our lives. We understand what our existence was like before God's mercy and what it is now that God's mercy has entered the picture and that our lives are drastically different. They are drastically different because God entered and he was rich in mercy. And so there's this fundamental change that we have to come to grips with, we have to come to terms with, and we ought to see, you might call it a ripple effect. God's mercy enters our lives. Now, how does that affect the rest of our lives? We see this this ripple effect as his mercy changes us and and transforms us in in all aspects. And so I I think that that's a good place to go from here in in our conversation what are those ripple effects? You, you know, what is the so what of God's mercy when it comes to our daily lives? A favorite passage of mine, Noah, when you talk about the so what of mercy, is the Apostle Paul, the book of Romans. Wow, what an incredible book. Some mm-hmm. deep things that Paul says there in that, in that letter. But by the time you get to chapter 12, in chapter 12 of Romans and in verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you in view of the mercies of God. I think one translation says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Paul's making an appeal as an apostle, but he says, in view of the mercies of God. And when you think about the mercies of God, he had spent the first 11 chapters talking about the mercies of God. Yeah. Uh, The blessings of God's grace, God being compassionate, full of pity, demonstrating that through the gift, the free gift of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 of Romans, justified by grace through the redemption that's found in Christ Jesus. God being both just and the justifier, connecting this justice side to a God who is holy with the mercy and grace aspect. And you talk about the ripple effect or the so what. Our appeal in preaching shouldn't be any different than that of the Apostle Paul's. Our appeal is by the mercies of God. When you take a person who both understands and appreciates the mercies or the mercy of God, they want to live that life that he talks about of commitment and service, a living sacrifice that he says. And so if we're going to drive ourselves and if we're going to encourage and motivate people to be committed in worship, in service to God and to others, what better place to start when this getting to know God better and talking about the God who is full of, who delights in being merciful? Absolutely. God's mercy is a motivator. Yes. And it it ought to be. And if it's not a motivator in our lives, that should cause us to do some reevaluation about how much we appreciate God's mercy and whether or not we have fully appreciated its effect in our lives. Absolutely. An obvious place to to go with that is, are we thankful for it? I mean, God's mercy, the immediate response, if we understand where we've been before God's mercy, where we are because of God's mercy, I mean, the first thing should be 
thankfulness, right? Gratefulness. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. He, he talks about the mercies and the goodness of the Lord and he, the automatic response. He says, all your works, it's again, that picture of all creation, not just humanity, giving him thanks because of his mercy. We can't really have a discussion of mercy without thinking of the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think some translations say, happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is challenging. If we're going to receive mercy, we have to be willing to show mercy. That gets real difficult in the nitty-gritty days of our lives, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. You know, sometimes we look at this, and you could you could connect because Jesus does uh, so often uh, in his ministry, connect mercy or being a merciful kind of person to forgiveness. When you're dealing with being merciful, sometimes we look at us being merciful and forgiving to others and think, well, I need to be merciful and I need to be forgiving in order to receive mercy and forgiveness from God. And absolutely, that's true. This is not so much a conditioned response that is, okay, well, I owe this to someone. Right. This should be the natural outgrowth of what I want to do because of what's been freely given to me by God. Yeah. Jesus did so much teaching Oh, mercy. I, I think about Noah one of the occasions, and you know, the Pharisees. He was always having these discussions with the Pharisees. And on one occasion, the Pharisees who saw themselves as great teachers of the law, I mean, the brilliant among the brilliant, when it came to the law, the Pharisees said, hey, sit down, I'll explain everything to you, yeah. how to keep it, on and on and on. And Jesus on one occasion told them, go and learn what this means. I think that's Matthew chapter 9, 13, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Yeah. Wow. And listen, nothing in there uh, says anything against sacrifice. Right. The thing that he's emphasizing is what it meant to be merciful. And that's in the context where the Pharisees were so critical of Jesus because he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Right. (laughs) They had no clue about what it meant to be merciful. Yeah. Mercy demonstrates or expresses itself at times and a compassion for people who are somewhere in life where they need something right. from someone else. Whether you talk about someone that's lost, confused, just in desperation and in darkness, what's the merciful, compassionate thing to do? Right. And right. sometimes we can miss that, I can miss that, because we don't have a correct knowledge of God. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And... Something you said there about about that context reminded me of James chapter 2. Because again, we we sometimes, when we're thinking of either the Beatitudes or here in James chapter 2, we think of judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And so sometimes we get this incorrect quid pro quo type view of mercy. But that's again because of an inaccurate view, uh, an inaccurate understanding of, of God's character. You talked about how People need things, and they need compassion shown to them. Well, in James chapter 2, the verse that follows what I just read about judgment being without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Sometimes that one phrase gets pulled out, and it's not 
It's not explained very well. What does that mean? Mercy triumphs over judgment. In this discussion, I think that there's some value in, in trying to understand that some translations, instead of saying triumphs, they have boasts over or exults over. The idea is that mercy has this, this powerful victory over judgment. And the implication there is that should be seen in our lives and in how we interact with other people. So there's this encouragement. James is saying, just as you did just a moment ago, there are people that need compassion and it ought to be an outflow from the mercy that we've received to show them mercy and show them compassion. Mercy ought to have a great victory in how we interact with other people. I love that text, No, You know, that's one of those highlight texts, the James 2.13 uh, there will be judgment without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Well, I talk about a sobering passage. You know, you had referenced earlier the Titus 3, uh, around about verse 5, by his mercy he has saved us. But if you go back in context, sometimes we miss the so what of Titus 3 because we, we don't see the full uh, value of the context Earlier in Titus 3 and in verse 2, I think the English Standard Version renders it this way, show perfect courtesy toward all. Mm-hmm. That's the idea of mercy. Yeah. Look, we, we live in a world, and I can be, we can be negatively influenced by the selfishness and lack of mercy in the world today, but we're just surrounded by people who have this kind of attitude and disposition, way of measuring life and treating other people in terms of, well, they don't deserve this. Right. I mean, look at the mess they're in. The mess they're in is a result of the mess they've made. So they don't deserve this. Wow. Back the bus up, we would say a little (laughs) bit here. Uh, There are a lot of things that I have received from God and others, quite frankly, that I did not deserve. Amen. So when you just start with God and let Him be the reference reference point uh, for all that we do as we interact with people, Doing good, being merciful to people at times is giving someone what they need, not necessarily what they deserve. And I know that really closely mirrors grace, and and that's okay. Right. You can't separate the two. But this idea of being merciful in Scripture, again, over and over and over again, it's, it's trying to pull us back to a right view of God that will influence how we treat other people. I'm glad you brought up that that right view of God. I think we're going to get to that in just a minute here. Before we do, I want to shift gears just a little bit, just for a minute or two, because God's mercy, as we've talked about so far, should have a lot of effect on our relationships with other people. God's mercy should also have a profound effect on our relationship with Him, specifically our confidence in Him. His mercy shown so consistently toward us, ought to give us great confidence in him. I've referenced James 5 in past episodes already, that we can see the purposes of God, that they are compassionate and merciful. We can turn to Luke chapter 1 and look at Mary's song um, that she sings. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And one of the reasons she gives is because his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. There's this consistency to God's mercy, and it ought to give us confidence in Him. And that's profound for day-to-day life. 
That that confidence is also expressed some in First Peter chapter one verses three and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's this, again, that phrase, according to his mercy, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I mean, if we sometimes use the phrase born again Christians, here it is in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're born again, but it's only because of his mercy. That should give us confidence. It's his mercy that is allowing us to do that. It's his mercy that's offering a living hope. It's his mercy that's offering an inheritance. It's not our doing. The confidence is in God. Right. Peter talks about that. You have not obtained mercy, but now have you obtained mercy. And it's interesting when Peter makes that contrast in 1 Peter 2 and about verse 10. Again, he's dealing with saved people, and he's reminding them, remember how it used to be. Remember where you have come from and what has brought you into the kingdom, what has brought you into a condition of right standing before God. Absolutely, my conditioned response of faith to the mercy of God in the free gift of Jesus Christ, I needed to respond. But when I take my eyes off of, again, I reference the Romans 5, without strength, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You can underline ungodly. I can put my name there. Exactly. And, and it reminds me of how, how much I was in need of the mercy of God. Absolutely. And that really does bring things back into perspective. And I think that, that that's a good place to come to as, as we're getting near the end of our time. Bringing things back into perspective, God's mercy ought to do that for us. It ought to bring back in a proper perspective of God, of who He is, of our relationship to Him. God's mercy, it humbles us and it exalts Him. And it does that at the exact same time. And that ought to be a, a striking thing for us. There's a an interesting passage in Daniel chapter 9. We don't necessarily spend a t- lot of time in the second part of Daniel because there's a lot of visions and strange things. But in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is saying a prayer for his people, and he recognizes this, right? He says in, in chapter 9, verses 8 and following, he says, To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers. Why? Because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Talk about restoring perspective. What do we deserve? Shame. Right. And yet, God has given mercy because it belongs to him. It's his to give. That's a striking contrast. Yes. You you talk about he refers to sin as a shameful thing, and it is. You're mentioning that our shameful sin and disobedience Oh, to humble us and make us realize even more the greatness of God's mercy. You know, there's another Old Testament passage. I, I love the prophets, Micah. God raised up Micah, the prophet. But in Micah 6 and verse 8, he has shown you, oh man, what is good, what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before your God. Before you even deal with what it means to walk humbly before God, right? he doesn't say be merciful. He says, love mercy. There is a noticeable difference between the individual who considers mercy and yet doesn't love mercy. 
Jesus Christ calls us to be the kind of people who love mercy. Yeah. There are two parables. The parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18, that teach us what it means in very practical ways to love mercy. Mm -hmm. You talk about something that's hard, or, well, maybe I can't mention this in terms of anybody else but myself, so get a little personal here. Forgiving some people for me is hard, and yet... One of the things that, that will help me, that will help us to, to be forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven us is to go back and reference God's mercy. Yeah. And, you know, who is my neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, the answer, which was the right answer that he gave Jesus, was, well, the one who showed mercy. And like any good preacher, what Jesus says was, okay, now go and do likewise. Right. But the doing of that sometimes is hard to, to show compassion yeah, and to do something for someone that they don't deserve, but it's, it's for their good. Right. But it's the right thing. It's the merciful thing. And that comes back to this idea of loving mercy. We're not going to act that way very well if we're doing it begrudgingly. But when we can recognize that God has been merciful, and we're a, we allow the, the ripple effect to take place, then going back to that Micah 6 passage, we can begin to love mercy. Right. Amen. Well, enjoyed this conversation, Noah. As did I. I'm really looking forward to continuing this, and I appreciate you. I appreciate the people who are tuning in and listening to this. I encourage anyone listening Come back with us uh, next week on Monday. Every Monday, we're going to be having this kind of a discussion, including next Monday. Paul, I think you're going to be taking the lead next Monday. What are we, what are we going to be talking about? Well, since we're just going to finish up mercy, how about some goodness? The, the goodness of God, or what do we mean, or what should we mean when we say God is good? I guess we'll know next week. So Psalm 119 and verse 68, God, you are good, and what you do is good. Yeah, what he does is good. Why? Because he is good. So what does that, what does that mean to say God is good? Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that discussion, looking forward to next week. I am too. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for joining us in God's Word today. We hope you'll continue to join us each week as we consider how to deepen our faith in God. Here's some good news today and even this week. With God as our foundation, we know that we can stand strong. 